Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur. Your host, Brad Hurlbus, and we are going to stay on the predator hunting topic as we started last week, and we have a special guest, Chris Craner. We're going to bring him in right away. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for inviting me, Brad. I'm real excited about this one. Um, I think you're really going to be able to shed a lot of light on someone like me that's very that has an interest in predator hunting, coyote hunting, and all that, but really doesn't know anything about it. Um, so we'll just start how I always like to start and just how did you get into hunting? Like, was it a family tradition? Did you kind of take it up on your own? As as with most uh, sportsmen that continue into the outdoor uh, lifestyle, uh, I was brought into it by my father and, uh, you know, pretty much strictly whitetail hunting is the way things started out for me. And spent a lot of time in a tree stand as a kid you know with my dad and looking for you know at that time you know this was in the mid 80s you know the whitetail population in michigan was kind of hit or miss you know you either saw a lot yeah. of deer you didn't and it's not like it is today where you can go around some of these fields and see hundreds of deer <laughs> so sure but but that's where it all started and i stayed into the whitetail deer side of things until i was about uh, 16 17 and i started uh looking into predator hunting, uh, primarily coyotes, because we'd hear them when we were up at deer camp and stuff like that. And so we stopped by the local sporting goods store. I think it was uh, Jay's Sporting Goods and Claire at the time. They only had the one store. And we picked up a couple of uh, VHS tapes 
and Randy Anderson happened to be one of them, and the other one was Ed Seary. And we watched their videos, and we're like, man, this predator hunting looks super easy. So we're going <laughs> to jump into this and give it a shot. So we watched these videos over the course of the weekend a couple, three times. And uh, when my brother and I got home from deer camp, we started doing a little more research. We ordered, we bought a couple of collars because I honestly, internet really wasn't much of a thing. Uh, it wasn't really like Amazon is today. You'd really right. didn't order much online. And I think this was in, uh, gosh, this was in the mid nineties. <clears throat> and so we, we started really jumping into ordering, get, getting some calls, uh, picking up some land that we could hunt. And I ordered up a 223 bolt action savage and we headed out to this farmer's field. He had a little junk pile in the middle of the field and we're like, all right, we'll give it a shot here. And it was literally just like the movies 30 seconds in, we had this coyote, just full on charge, 150 yards away. I center shoot it and it drops right on the spot. Just, just like they show in the, in the videos. And it's like, holy moly, this predator hunting is super easy. You know, what do we, Oh, what is, what is the problem here? You know, because we've heard other people struggling and then all of a sudden it was another 12 sets before we called in another coyote. <laughs> so sure. then we started really experiencing what the predator hunting was all about. It's not uh, that easy the first time around. And I know plenty of guys who have, it's taken two, three, four years before they've shot their first coyote. And to be honest, I, I was talking with my dad the other day and you would think just out of a random circumstance that he would call in a, or see a coyote during while he's in the bow stand or something. Uh, he still is yet to kill a coyote. I've taken him out with me a couple of times at night. We've gotten really close to getting shot, but uh, um, still haven't made it happen for him. So, but yeah, so that's the beginning of my coyote hunting. And, and then after, I believe my brother and I did that for about three or four years and I kind of my daytimes weren't as available anymore to get out at the woods so i kind of back got out of the hunting um, until december 2016 michigan passed a center fire at night law and allowed okay. allowed hunters to hunt with rifle center fire rifles at night so that made uh made me really jump into it literally by january 2017 i had you know a night snipe hunting light, you know, mounted to my scope and, and I just jumped right into the night game. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the wild transition, you know, to be able to be out there at night and be able to see them from a long way away. And when we did get started with lights, we quickly realized that it's almost, it was almost still just as hard as daylight hunting, um, because you're not seeing everything when you're using light. So when we, that very first year, I think between the three of us, there was three, two other buddies and I, we were hunting every week. I mean, we were nonstop. Yeah. We were jumped right into it full, full tilt. We would hear all the coyotes. We still were hearing them all the time, but we weren't seeing them. And uh, I think we killed three coyotes that first year. And all right. And so it wasn't, wasn't huge numbers by any means, but sure. you know, it, it still kept us in the game. I mean, we were all super excited. But then we started researching a little bit more about the night vision and the thermal side of things. And when we really started doing that, that was an eye open. And so we, that next season, we all jumped into the night vision or night vision rifle scope and a thermal scanner. Sure. And we quickly found how much we were missing. 
you know, we, we were probably calling in coyotes with light, um, probably calling in lots of them, but we weren't seeing them. And with that right. thermal scanner, you can now see everything. So, and that's what I did this year. I went with a Wraith HD 2x16 and I picked up a AGM handheld thermal scanner. You yeah. know, like, because Wisconsin's kind of tricky. I don't know if you've ever hunted Wisconsin. I haven't. I have a few buddies that do. So we can't shine. We can use the light at a point of kill, but you can't scan with the light. Okay. All right. So now people say that you can kind of flirt that law, but it really does say like you are not allowed to scan with a light. And that includes, that includes an infrared light. Like you're not allowed to use any you light. You can't use night vision. You can at the point of kill to identify your target, but you already have to know an animal's there to identify. Okay. All right. Does that so make you sense? Still so, have to, so you have to scan with thermal, but when you're ready right. to pull a trigger, you can then turn on your IR for your night. Exactly. Well, your IR can already be on. You just can't scan with it. So if it's just sitting oh, there, okay. like I just leave mine on sitting there on the tripod gotcha. and I'm scanning with my thermal and my, I, I picked up an entry level AGM because at that point, all I need to do is detect a heat signature. I'll use the night vision to identify. Right. And because I'm new to this and it's not my first focus, but it's something I enjoy doing. I'm like, this is a good way to get into it. And everything was on sale, like for Christmas. And I think I was able to pick both of those units up with a better IR. I think I'm like 700 into all. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> Especially when you look at what a thermal, like a decent thermal scope costs when you're 2,500 entry level for something decent. And then you're yeah. really getting to five grand if you want something like really nice. Yeah. So like this yeah, is a good way to quit. Yeah. But you're right though that thermal changes things like i'm seeing rabbits i'm seeing like raccoons i'm seeing all this stuff that i had no idea was there can you detect mice with that one are you able to see I, mice i have not but i've only used it like four times that's all i've been able to make it out since i've got yeah. it so have i seen mice like have there been mice in the field i was in i don't know <laughs> well once and i don't i'm not familiar with that thermal unit but the the thermal units i've been using you'll see mice running through the field a hundred yards out in front of you. Yeah, I mean, this, you're awesome. seeing stuff that you can't even see with your naked eyes. So it's, it's pretty amazing technology. That's awesome. I don't think it's going to, no, mine's too entry level. I don't want to do it at a hundred. That's for sure. I'll, <laughs> I'll be happy to pick up a good, I'll be happy to pick up a coyote at a hundred. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That's what I, and that's what I hear with those. Um, what I've heard from those lower end units, you know, the detection right. range is pretty short. Um, I recently, I just placed an order to upgrade to the new Pulsar Helion XP50 Pro, and that's got like a 2,000 yard detection. And that's the, crazy. The, the clarity alone on that unit is super impressive. I was, uh, I, I was just down in Texas three or four weeks ago, and I was able to use that unit to spot hogs, and we're using it to look for coyotes too. And the just clarity, I mean, you can just see forever with the thing. So it's pretty impressive. That That's awesome. I did get to use mine. Uh, I shot a doe late season in the evening. And I knew right where the doe went, but I had it on me. I had it in, the, in my vehicle, so I went back, dropped the gun off. I already knew, I already knew it was down. I watched it, basically, and I went back with it. And I, I was actually quite surprised how far away it picked it up laying on the ground. But it was a cold night in December. So, I mean, there wasn't much else for heat around, which helps, right? But yeah. I, it was pretty cool, like, to see what that was able to do. I'm like... That's cool. Now I went and put the gun away. Cause I don't know if you're allowed to use thermal to track a deer, but I already knew yeah. where it was. I just wanted to see what it was. I wasn't sure Wisconsin's law on that. So I'm like, hmm. well, if I don't have my gun on me, 
I mean, if I'm allowed <laughs> to use a dog on a leash without my gun, I'm pretty sure a handheld thermal is not going to be a problem. It's, you know, so many states are so have so many different laws in regards to that. Like Michigan, they don't have a, a restriction on optics that you use when you're shooting a deer uh, or, or is it, I haven't looked at the bear manual, but for a deer, um, it could be, you can use a thermal rifle, you can use a night vision scope, but you can't turn on the IR because okay. the IR would be your artificial light. Um, sure. So that, that's something that is in the manual, but thermal vision um, is not listed as a not, as an optic that you can't use. So um, this year, but the, the thing that you have to follow is obviously the timelines. Um, right. Because right. with thermal um, and even night vision, even if you don't have the IR, you, you're gathering more light that you may not with your di traditional daytime optics or glass optics. Sure. So you have to follow Michigan's half hour after sunrise, uh, or I'm sorry, half an hour before sunrise, half an hour after sunset are your legal shooting hours. And so you want to make sure you're following those. But other than that, yeah, you can use any optic I'm, that you want. I'm almost positive you can. I was just, be, I just didn't research it beforehand. I'm almost positive. Right. I know you can't, I don't, again, hunting hours and all that. I don't ever remember seeing anything in our regulations about not being able to use a thermal optic. But we've got so many weird laws. I'm like, eh. If, as long as I don't have the gun. <laughs> right. And I mean, we have about two wardens per county. I know both the ones in the county on a first name basis. They don't even mm -hmm. like. I see them once in the beginning of the year. They they're like, "Yep, you still have your conservation patrons." And then we talk dogs and bird dogs because they both bird hunt. And I'm like, "Yeah." So even if they saw me, the odds of me actually getting like in trouble probably wouldn't have happened. But I, you know, I don't want to be that guy where they're like, "You know, we thought you were legal." You know what I mean? <laughs> no, and that's what I I. Um, one of our CEOs here recently um, had a, had an injury, so he he's no longer in the field. But I I've been working with him for gosh and knowing him for 12 years now, and super super guy, you know. And the the other CEO uh, also a great guy, but I won't I don't spend as much time talking to him. So, but both of them know I'm an avid predator hunter and if there's things going on in the county that they, you know, like, Hey, keep your ears open, you know, type, sure. type deal. And, uh, you know, and that's what I'm here for. I, I don't mind helping them out if they need a hand. Actually, I've been trying to talk them into getting some thermal units for themselves. They, they typically run some, uh, lower, low budget thermal scanners. And, sure. um, you know, I've been trying to talk them into higher end things, not just from a, uh, a poaching standpoint that they can see everything in a field uh, real time, but I'm also talking search and rescue. Right. I mean, ev everything that comes along with a thermal scanner that it, it is super helpful. So I mean, search and rescue is huge for that too. I mean, and like you said, I've always been helpful too. I mean, all the wardens in my area that I've had personal interactions with, they all have my phone number. They know I have a duck boat with a surface drive motor. And I've told all of them like, if you guys need help, like if you need another boat in the water for a search and rescue thing, call me. If right. I'm in town and not doing it, I'll come. Like I've, I'm 100% like at that point in time, I guarantee you, no matter what I'm doing, I don't have anything better to do. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, had, we had a, there was a seven-year-old, I think it was seven-year-old kid, uh, went out for, to ride his bike with his dog 
and the dog returned home and the kid didn't, you know? Oh, and yeah. so, so they've put a thing on social media, you know, like, Hey, we're searching for a kid in this area, you know, keep your eyes open. I'm like, texted them. I'm like, you, you or messaged them. Like I've got thermal. Do you need me to make the drive up there to help you guys out? And it was within 15 minutes. They ended up finding the kid, you know, sure. next to the fire barn. Um, but still, you know, the, you tr I try to be somewhat available or very available for those type of scenarios because if you can help somebody out because you have the technology to do it, um, I think it'd be uh, it would definitely be a good thing to do. Agreed. So. It pays dividends in the karma in the karma bucket, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's a selfless thing that at the end of the day, you're not doing it to promote yourself. At least I'm not, I'm sure it doesn't no. sound like you are. You're not doing it to promote yourself. You're not doing it to promote your page on Instagram or anything like that. It's the fact that I've been fortunate enough to purchase some of this equipment that not everybody can. Right. And who, why wouldn't I, if I'm capable, help try to find a missing boater, a missing duck hunter when it's December and it's snowing and lakes are starting to ice up and someone didn't come home. If yeah. I've got the equipment, including the thermal at this point, because I grabbed the thermal scanner as well. I mean, if I have this equipment, which I know a lot of the local agencies around here have equipment as well. It's not that they're not under, they're all underfunded, right? But they always an extra, extra set of eyes can never hurt, I exactly. mean, in, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, most of these agencies do have a thermal of some sort, but uh, what quality thermal they have, it's, it's hard telling. But right. you're right. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be put in a position working with Pulsar and everything that I get these type of units in my hands one way or another. So, sure. Um, but yeah, it, it, the technology is pretty impressive. I've, I've located deer the next day, you know, I, I poorly shot a doe a few years ago and I ended up just walking, deciding to back out, went back in the next morning. I couldn't find it rained overnight. I couldn't find any blood, okay. any sign. I scanned with the thermal through the brush and I seen her lay, laying in the brush, you know, so stuff like that. You, if you were trying to just use your eyes and look and look and look, you might circle that area a hundred times and never find her. But right. with that thermal, right. thermal, I was able to pick her up within 10 minutes and the game was over. So that's awesome. I mean, that when using that quality, I mean, I've heard that too from like hog hunters that say hogs hold heat for a really long time as well. And I mean, how many times have someone like, I know I've taken, I took a deer to a processor this year, which I had cut open and spread open as kind of warm out, wasn't terribly warm, but he's like, dude, that thing was still hot. What did you do to it? I'm like, nothing, man. I gutted it within 10 minutes and <laughs> I had the legs spread open. The only thing I didn't do was dump a bucket of ice in it. He goes, that thing was still hot to the touch. So really? like, yeah. Well, with that that skin and that that hair really holds in a lot of heat. So I mean, usually if we're shooting deer in October, you know, we are dumping some bags of ice in it just to try to cool sure. it down as best as and we can. And I probably should have. My whole thought process was always there, like I'm taking it right to the processor. Only I got delayed helping someone else look for one of their deers. And then, because I was lucky enough, I shot my little buck at 30 seconds after opening light. I waited for the clock to basically turn. Um, it was already there. Nice. <laughs> By like eight o'clock, I was out of the woods. And That's I'm a like, nice hunt. Right. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> Allowed me to get right back into duck hunting. I'm like, this is awesome. Everybody's still out. And I can go right back into ducks, grab the dog. And 
I'm like, oh, I'll be to the processor by 10. It'll be fine. He doesn't have anything lined up before me because it's a little guy that he just does like 20 or 30 deer a year. He's a friend oh, okay. of mine. He does really good work, though. And I'm like, this is perfect. I'll drop it off to him. And then I didn't get there to like 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, this is not how this is supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, I've had days like that. So, but now the when it comes to the predator hunting side of things, I've, like I said, jumped into the night vision thermal game. Um, that would be January, February, 2018. And my buddies all jumped in at the same time. We went from as a trio killing three coyotes that previous season, approximately to, I believe that next season I killed 15 and missed just as many. And my, my other buddies had similar uh, experiences where they were seeing and killing a lot more coyotes. So just going from the, the, the lights to the thermal night vision game was a complete game changer. And then uh, I think I did, did that for a year, year and a half. And then I jumped into all thermal. And, all right. and that's one of the suggestions I make is if you're going to jump into the thermal game is use the night vision first thermal night vision so then you you're understanding the thermal signature of a coyote as you're and you can identify it with night vision. sure because i have i have seen that like not personally but you know youtube everything else internet videos like the internet research and i have seen that it's a lot of people and i'm sure i will as well if i get time to actually focus on this a little more struggle with identifying identifying coyotes in night vision or not night vision, I'm sorry. In, in, in thermal. thermal. Yeah, and obviously the, the, the higher the end, the end of thermal is, you can see the distinct differences. You can see it get a little better image of the tail. Uh, that's typically what I'm looking for is, is uh, a shorter straight tail. A fox is going to come running in. It's going to have a longer tail, and, it, you, and it's going to be off the more straight off the bat. Um, okay. And then we've called in domestic dogs, too. And so the last thing you want to do is shoot uh, Fido. Right. Um, right. So what you're looking for there is usually a curl in the tail of some sort, or their tail will be up in the air, or their tail will be wagging, um, a number of things. Because I've, I've had dogs come running into the collar, and then they go about chasing deer, and I can see that tail wagging, or I can see that slight curl in the tail. So I can tell immediately that it's domestic. And and that so, was one thing, and that was actually one of the videos I watched of someone showing like coyote behavior versus dog behavior, and they were very specific about looking at the tail. And the videos they showed a lot of times coyotes had their tails down when yes. coming into a collar, yep. whereas a lot of the domestic dogs were straight out or straight up or wagging, like you said. They said to use that as help for identify as one of the tools to help identify your target in thermal. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, there would be bad news and thankfully to my knowledge in michigan we don't have too many uh i have not heard of any issues of domestic dogs uh, being shot uh, we have had we do have an issue over north of grand rapids right now where somebody's going around shooting deer now you know we don't know who who it is what it is you know the dnr is investigating it but i think sure. so far they're up to like 30 deer that they've found over the last month that have been shot. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's the next problem. Um, you would think and, if that's someone hunted with predators with thermal to make that mistake 30 times almost. Yeah, there's 
there's no, zero there. like when when you're out there with thermal there is zero mistaking a deer with a coyote i mean a deer sure. is so much more distinct um their thermal signatures hotter uh their ears are very obvious when you're out in the field so the there's no mistake it's just it's somebody out there just joy killing and sure and sure that's all it comes down to and and unfortunately they haven't caught them yet but the book will hopefully be thrown they do hopefully hopefully so, so are you so you're using thermal obviously we already talked about this you're using high quality thermal as well are you using a handheld thermal or are you scanning with your gun i'm using a handheld thermal and and then i jump over to my thermal rifle scope when i Got when it. a target spotted um i did pulsar just released the thermion 2 xp50 pro which is uh, very detailed thermal scope with the laser rangefinder built in so oh, nice. I, I just ordered that that's hope fingers crossed that comes in at the middle <laughs> middle of this month because i sold i sold my old thermal scope so i could make this transition into the new one so i've been without uh, a hunting rig for about two weeks now uh oh i just lost you Hopefully Brad makes it back. If not, I can keep talking. All right. All there, right. there he is. Lost, so lost you. <laughs> the computer in the basement is plugged into the switch on the lights. And my wife just got home from the store. She ran down here to drop some groceries off and she turned <laughs> on the lights. Like, no. And which I don't, dis <laughs> I don't disconnect from the internet, but my docking station has my microphone, it has my camera. It's got all that good stuff in it. So yeah, I know now like I'm quick enough, like, okay, I'm lost. I got to log out quick, wait for everything to turn back on and jump right back in the studio. That so. was actually, that was impressive, impressively quick. I was, I was expecting <laughs> it to take a little longer. So <laughs> as soon as I realized I was done, I'm like, all right, I got to log out. Cause I don't, thankfully I don't lose internet connection cause I'm on Wi-Fi oh. and a laptop. So, but if I lost internet, it would not be as quick as that. That's for <laughs> right. sure. <laughs> no, so so as i was saying i just uh you know got the new thermal scanner ordered up and the new thermal rifle scope ordered up so hopefully by the middle of this month i'll have a new rig ready to rock but uh no then you just get into uh, the next thing is just calling predators um, sure coyotes are pretty i mean pretty simple creatures i guess you could say first off you can't call coyotes if they aren't there so scouting and knowing that they're there is going to is going to be key number one that's one thing i'm learning that's one thing i'm learning quickly is you're if you wouldn't hunt where there aren't deer like you can't just walk right. into a like i've walked into a handful of fields just thinking oh i'll call something and there's got to be something close and i don't see anything and then i like i'll go back during daylight and i won't i won't cut a track in the entire i'm like well probably should hunt <laughs> where there's actually coyotes if i want to actually see a coyote yeah there and it's and it's weird so like one particular section this year we've taken nine coyotes out of it um and then the next section north i've only gotten two you know so for whatever reason coyotes do have a favoritism to certain sections because uh 
coyotes are, are not generally residential you know they travel a lot they're coming and going but for some reason some of these areas they tend to you know congregate i guess you could say and hang out a little bit longer and and then they just habit you think it's habitat reasons like habit, i think it's got to be it's got to be habitat um probably a little bit of food source too um sure but they they just seem to really gather in these areas the, an, another section the first year I was hunting that section, I killed nine coyotes in one year. And then the trappers got another 11 out of that same wow. section. And so that really opened my eyes. I'm like, man, there weren't that many coyotes in there two months ago when I was out there hunting, you know, but sure. the thing is, is when you're, especially when you get into the breeding season, the coyotes are just traveling like crazy. Um, and going back to the dog guys, uh, the dog guys will drive around looking for, to cut tracks that are off the road somewhere. And sometimes those tracks are going into a section where they just killed two coyotes the day before. So they'll we'll go back into that section today and they'll kill that one. You know, so sure. the coyotes are constantly coming and going. And uh, But if you can find what properties they're, they're congregating in, then you really don't need to do a whole heck of a lot of homework. It's a matter of just being within calling range of them, you know, they, they may or may not be somewhat close, but, uh, um, they're probably going to be coming into that section at some point that night. Um, so you just got to be where the coyotes are if you want to kill them. And then for callers, are you a hand caller, an electronic caller? I primarily use electronics just because, okay. uh, I find it just easy and I get a ton of variation with, you know, I've got, 450 sounds on my Icotech Outlaw that just, um, I can, if a coyote is talking back to me, I can mimic it with one of those other vocalizations sure. that I have in that collar, and I can entice it to come out, whether it is with vocalizations or with food. And, and then again, when you get into the food side of things, there's, it, you can blow on a, a mouth call, rabbit distress, but when you get into the collar and you have, I don't know, I probably have 75 different rabbit distresses. You know, it gives you a lot of variation to play something that's different than anybody else. Sure, sure. So, and I'm sure like, and I'm sure like with all other types of hunt, like animals and everything, like when you put pressure on them and they haven't been killed, but they used to, they've been spooked, shot at, missed everything else. They, they start to learn the game and get wise. So if everyone's playing that same cotton tail in distress, they're going to stop coming. That's no longer a dinner bell. So I've, I've had a, a, a conversation with a gentleman a few weeks ago. He didn't believe in pressured coyotes. And I had to think about it a little bit to, to see where exactly I stood. Because I always felt that coyotes can be pressured, you know, especially when you go and you, you shoot at one. And I started thinking about a few different scenarios where uh, we got a coyote come running in. And it, this recently happened to a buddy of mine. He was hunting a piece of land that is private land, but it's open to the public. Like that landowner, it's, sure. uh, it's half land is what they call it. But that landowner allows people to hunt it. So he was hunting that half land and he had a coyote, you know, just starting to work its way into some vocalizations on the collar. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to close, I'm going to close in the distance. I'm going to toss on some baby cottontail. Well, I, 
I'm not secretive on, on social media when I say what I'm killing coyotes with. I will plain, plain Jane, I'll put it out there. This is exactly how I called this coyote in. And so he did that. He threw on baby cottontail. That coyote tucked tail and it ran away. And yeah. it's like, it, it's like that coyote was shot at because somebody else was playing baby cottontail. Right, <laughs> right. So, it knew that sound and it's like, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that tells me coyotes can be pressured and coyotes can be educated uh, to certain sounds. Now, again, like I said, there's there's so many different call make, makers out there, audio makers, that you can really diversify the types of rabbit distresses that you have in your arsenal and can improve your success rates. Sure, sure, that makes sense. I've heard like, I've heard the counter argument, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard the counter argument though that like hand calls because everyone is kind of unique on how you blow it can sometimes have really good results as well and sometimes better results in areas that have a lot of hunting pressure just for that reason. Yes. Yeah, and I, I'm not a diaphragm call user for whatever reason. My mouth is not shaped right, and I can't use a diaphragm. Okay. But my buddies that do have diaphragm and, and they use them, they sound so good. So if you can find a way to use a diaphragm caller, that's very, very close to realistic sounding that I've heard. I can I use a reed howler at times. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I don't always push a button on electronic caller. Sure, Occasionally, sure. I will break out the hand calls. But... Um, I use a reed howler and I've, we've had great success. My buddy, uh, Clinton and I, you know, we've done t had times where you use the howler and you got some coyotes howling across the field and you throw on some rabbit distress. They don't want to come across the field. So we go to them and we cut the distance and we howl again. And when you start getting close to them and do that, that gets them like, what is why are they coming closer to us you know and so that sure. gets them curious and they start and then they'll break the wood line and come come to you when you when you start getting a little close to their territory interesting i never would have thought of doing that but it, it kind it also kind of makes sense as i'm sure from what i've read now like i'm new but from what i've read they can be ter territorial it sounds like also so i Very. mean if, if you're using vocals and they're not moving and you cut the distance in half and, and start calling mm -hmm. out again I, I can see that. It makes sense. Not only curiosity, but hey, what do you want to fight? Fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fine. We'll and, fight. And, and it's and it's worked a number of times. And I wasn't even going for so much for the vocalization to bring coyotes out. Um, but back in early December, uh, I was hunting the north side of the road. Some coyotes vocalized to my south by, I don't know, they were right around a quarter mile away, but I could just see them in the thermal. And so I'm like, all right, I'll pick everything up and I'll go to the south side. Went to the south side. I started out with some vocalizations on the south side. And now they're about a half a mile to my east. I'm like, you dirty buggers. And they crossed to the north side of the road. So, I mean, I had permission for almost this entire mile. So I hopped in the truck, drove all the way over to where I heard them, parked in that farmer's field and walked behind his barn. I let out a vocalization again. And boom, this time I can see them. They're like 500 yards, 600 yards away from me. And I threw the kitchen sink at them and they didn't want to move. I'm like, what in the world is going on? I got, I was able to get them to the edge. Of, there was an alfalfa field and corn stubble field. I got them to the edge of the two fields and they just sat down and I'm, and they're probably about 350, 400 yards away at this point. Okay. And, uh, and so I just started going through, I'm like, well, what time of year is it? You know, well, it's getting close to breeding season. 
So I decided as my last ditch resort to toss out some breeding sounds and that brought them in on a string. And, you know, you occasionally see those videos where two, where the guys will try to shoot two coyotes with one shot. Well, these coyotes are running right down the corn row, right at me, both one right in front of the other. And I'm like, I can just go through that one and get that one. That'd be pretty swell. So they were, I ranged them there 200 yards out. So I, I knew they were within range and they were still just coming right at me. But I had the crosshairs settled and I touched it off. And of course, the bullet didn't go through the first one. It stopped sure. right there. And that's what, sure. I mean, the, going to bullet selection would be the next thing is you'd actually don't want your bullet to penetrate and go all the way through the coyote because then, uh, you know, you don't know that bullet could ricochet. Um, so having a good expansive explosive bullet, so it's, um, not penetrating all the way through is what I personally prefer. But anyway, that, so that, that, that also makes sense too. Cause if you're in it to save fur, I mean, if you're in it for the fur standpoint, you don't want a giant exit hole on the backside. No, right. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, so after I shot the first one, which, um, rarely when you shoot the male first, does a female stick around? Usually the female's like gone, but she ran. 10 yards stopped and looked back and I sh was able to shoot her also. She didn't drop on the spot. She ran a hundred yards and then she was done. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those, another one of those nights, you know, you, you, you gotta be able to constantly learn and be willing to learn what the coyotes are teaching. You. And that was another learning point for me. I, I wasn't afraid to pick up and move and try to get closer to them. And then once I did get closer, what did it take to seal the deal? So, sure. And uh, I just played through the arsenal. Nice. That's 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 cool. Like, cause you, like chasing them around's got to be fun, kind of, right? I mean, it's got to be frustrating too, because like you try to get in front of them, and now they've already started to chase you, so now you're almost behind them again. <laughs> like, yeah, they just it's like a game of well, just, at that point. So knowing when they're like my wind direction the, for the first move wasn't ideal. Like they may have okay. even winded me when they were south of me on the south side of the road. So that wasn't an ideal situation. So I, when they moved away from me and headed further east, it did, you know, allowed me to get into a better wind position because you're not going to fool their nose. You know, a lot of right. guys, they, they ask that question, you know, how do you, you know, do you do scent control or anything like that? It's like, they don't waste your time because you're not going to fool their nose. You're, you're best off just playing the wind to the best of your advantage. Um, and then do you also play, like, I've seen that. I mean, there's videos out there. It might have been Seek one that did one on, like, hunting sprays and scent lock clothes for deer, and they used a dog. They used a trained dog, and the difference that stuff made was, like, five or ten yards, and the dog was still picking someone up 100 yards away in a tree stand. So yeah. you can't tell me coyotes that – do this every day also like their life depends on that nose and the right. predator inst and they're not because they're predators but they're gonna have a prey instinct as well like you can't tell me that they're no you're right you're not gonna fool their nose so no. but when when you use that wind you also try to use it to your advantage with like terrain knowing because coyotes like to circle downwind from what i've read have you experienced that quite a bit and try to use that to your advantage it's i i always set it up set up the stand as if they're going to, as if they're going to circle downwind. I always set it up that way, but there have been, I would say it's like 50, 50 for me, um, okay. where, where they just, regardless of where the coyote is, it's just zeroing in on that call and it's coming straight to it. It doesn't, doesn't always circle downwind. So I've had it both ways. And, um, 
you know, I've had coyotes where, again, pressured coyotes where they, they'll circle downwind and they'll circle 300, 400 yards downwind and then they'll they'll head out of Dodge. I've got sure. people now that I think I can start picking those ones off. <laughs> so, um, but the other thing is that, that I haven't mentioned yet as, as, a, as a beginner hunter, if you're hunting at night, um, the biggest thing you want to prevent is a silhouette. Other than that, you can stand anywhere out in a wide open field. I don't stand in fence rows. I don't stand near any trees out in the field unless there's a, a bright moon that I'm dealing with. But uh, you don't necessarily want to stand up on a hilltop either to where, you know, if a, coy a coyote's down in the low area of the field and he's looking up and you, he's silhouette, you know, he's catching your silhouette sure. from light pollution from the town next door type deal. So um, I've got a few different uh, examples of where coyotes, where we've done that, where we've stood up on a high spot. Um, we, we were already zeroed in on this coyote, but you know, it's kind of funny when you can see them go like this and they look right up at you and, and you're like, yep, better shoot them now or you're not going to get a shot at all. So that's something I never would have thought of as being silhouetted at night, but that makes sense. So I mean, especially off light pollution, but that's got even like on a full moon, it's got to be even more of an issue. I mean, yeah. And when, when you got your when your body is casting a shadow on the ground that's a problem. And when you can, you know, you walk that collar out, I'm usually only walking the collar 30 to 50 yards out. I don't have to go too far. Um, but when you're walking that collar out and you can look back at your buddy and you can still see him plain as day, that's, I mean, the coyote's going to see you from a long way away. So sure. you got to try to use some sort of terrain or uh, backdrop as some cover to, in those type of scenarios. But yeah, as a general rule though, wide open field and in, Keep your eye open. I scan 360 degrees um, from the moment, actually, from the moment you leave the truck, you need to start scanning because I've killed coyotes 75 yards from the truck and never turned on the collar. So they, sure. they just, just, they're just, they're comfortable at night. You know, they use the cover of darkness as their um, shield and they, they just go anywhere, wherever it's comfortable uh, to them. So they, they don't have that fear and, I've had it where I pull into a field and I scan, there's a coyote there. He still stands there thinking that he's not seen. It allows me to pull all my stuff out. And let's face it, you can never be completely quiet when you're pulling that stuff out. Right, right. But the fact that the coyote doesn't run and it's just standing there, you know. It, Almost it curious, like, hey, what's this guy doing? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've over the years gotten a handful of coyotes that way. Nice. So at night, I know I, I mentioned this quickly, but tripods seem to be about, seem to be the way to go, which I'm assuming you're going to agree with that. Yes. You know, I, I, when I first started, I started with a monopod and I always carried like, uh, I've got these little Primos tripod chairs, so they're relatively lightweight, and relatively comfortable. But what I quickly found out is a, if a coyote comes in from behind you, you can't move fast enough to get turned around and and I've quickly learned that having that 360 degrees of, of motion all the way around you is huge. In um, having a tripod allows you to do that, not to mention a much more stable platform than your monopod would be also. Um, right. Like I, when I said that I missed a lot of coyotes that second year, it's because I was using a, a really cheap tripod, I think for the second half of the year, first half of the year, I was using a monopod and I, you just, 
to get steady for those 100, 150 yard shots, um, it was very, very difficult for me. And I mean, you toss uh, adrenaline into the mix, you know, right, right. And excitement, you know, it's, uh, there's times where I, I could swear, especially when I was using night vision, man, I swear I had the crosshairs on that coyote. And that's, you know, recording the onboard recording of some of these units can sometimes be a godsend and a curse <laughs> at the same time. Well, I found out that I was, you know, when I was missing, it's because the crosshairs need to be on target before you squeeze that trigger. <laughs> so, sure, sure. Kind of, kind of need to slow down. I mean, I'm, 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 like, I'm, I've only called in one coyote. I didn't get a shot. This was like the first year I ever did this. I, I didn't even have a light. I was just hunting full moon over a frozen lake, and I could see extremely well. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a coyote, and I made the bonehead move of like taking my head off the scope and trying to see it with my eye. Like somehow my eyes are going to gather more light than the scope I was using. And I never picked it back up again. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when I called in a coyote, I'm like, that's really, that's, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. Like I was using that frozen lake, the full moon. I'm like, and there was snow on the ground. I'm like, for me right now with my setup, that was the best case scenario. Like it was as bright as it could possibly ever be. And I made that bonehead move and I'm, kind of like well after i after i'm like i was kind of disappointed but i'm like i called in a coyote and, and i'm like it's been a kind of warm winter and that thing was like 150 yards away i'm like i don't know if i'd have walked out on that lake right now anyways <laughs> like it's probably you might have just probably, stayed there yeah it's probably a good thing because i've been so excited and walked out there and that's when i pro i've never fallen in ice fishing knock on wood but that's probably when i would have fallen fell, fell yeah right <laughs> yep i haven't fallen through either i used to do some ice fishing years ago but uh, yeah, there, there's just something different about coyote hunting and being able to do it at night. It's definitely, it's been a passion I've greatly enjoyed over the last five years um, since the law. Do you still hunt daylight? Here. Do you do any daytime hunting? I do. Anymore? So the only only time I day hunt is when I, during bobcat season. So okay. um, our bobcat season, you can only shoot bobcats during the day uh, or during legal shooting hours. Um, so in last year, I made three trips north. Um, called in a bobcat every trip and called in a pair of coyotes every trip. Um, and my, my boss actually, he did, he does some bobcat hunting with me and he got a bobcat that first trip. I missed a bobcat on the second and third trip. <laughs> and, Ouch. Uh, yeah, that was painful. <laughs> and then, uh, I, on the third trip, I killed one out of two coyotes. The other trips, we just never got shots at the coyotes, but we were seeing them. And then, then you fast forward into this year and we made three trips and never called in a bobcat and never called in a freaking coyote so wow, this, this year was a completely game changer you know it was it was frustrating as heck to make all these trips north and not see any any animals but it's it's hunting you know it's you just right. you still never know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen i know guys who have taken out several bobcats and year after year you know the some years they go right out and they get one the first day and then the next year they may not get one at all they struggle all season they're out there but they're struggling so right just the name right. of the game when you're daytime hunting are you still using a tripod i do still use a tripod okay. now but i but i have also noticed the restrictions of if i am daytime hunting i'm typically tucked into some brush right. and some cover um and one thing the tripod does and, and i'm sitting down so the tripod does restrict your you, the, how much you can swivel to shoot 
if a coyote sure. comes in behind you, it's not, a, you know, picking it up off the monopod and swing around behind you type deal. Um, so it, it does restrict you a little bit, but I still do use it. All right, and I, I use it for, I use it for deer hunting too. Okay. Yeah. I just so. wasn't sure if you found like a, during the day, if it was better off not using the tripod, because I guess I, just from my research and everything else, I like at that point, I'm looking for cover. I'm looking to hide because everybody can see everybody at that point. So right. my thought process is I'm already sitting on the ground or sitting on a low profile chair. And I, in the first time I tried to use my tripod during the day, I'm like, if anything came to my right, cause I'm a left-handed shooter. I'm like, uh, I'm like, I got to set this up like goose hunting at this point and be like at a 45 to where I think they might come from. Cause I can swing farther left being right-handed, but I'm very limited going to my right. So yeah. I'm like, I was debating, I'm like, do I even use, do I go to like some sort of bipod maybe that I could just look the gun right off of, or I was trying to debate what to do there. Then something like that would be, would be nice. Cause then it, you just quickly pick it up and you slide it over in a different position. If you can do it quietly enough, if you see, right. if you see a coyote coming, um, you know, the first coyote I shot during daylight, I did have a bipod on my rifle and it was good. It was solid. You know, they're, they're steady. The tripod as a general rule you know, i do prefer them um, okay and if i did more daytime hunting i probably would switch over to a bipod system sure but i just i've got two young kids i got a six-year-old and a four-year-old so um i don't the cool thing about the nighttime hunting is i can tuck them in and and i can head out hunting and not feel guilty about leaving the family <laughs> so well, that makes during, sense that makes sense during the day, it's a little bit harder, uh, you know, they, whether it be they're getting home from school or, um, you know, just even on the weekend, you know, try to stay home and hang out with kids and then go out at night, hang out with buddies. So that makes sense. It's a good, it's, it's way better than going to the bar, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't know many wives that would disagree with that <laughs> statement. <laughs> right. I mean, you're not out getting in trouble. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, I, I mean, uh, I've had, we've had some good times in the field, you know, um, I've got a handful of good buddies around the area. You know, it's almost, if I had to compare it really to much of anything, I'd almost compare it to, you know, an ice fishing or uh, a goose hunting duck hunting scenario. Cause you're standing out in the field, you're shooting the shit, you know, you're having a good time. And, um, and it's just the, the time spent in the field with buddies. It's, it's just a good time. It's not like you have to sit there, like in your deer woods, you know, you gotta be quiet. Right. I mean, obviously we're not talking super loud for coyotes cause they got great ears, but you know, we, we can at least communicate, you know, talk about our week and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's just a great time. And you're not, how long, how long do you typically run a stand for? before you pick up and move? So I'm usually 20 to 25 minutes and I'm moving to the next spot. I don't like wasting a lot of time. If a coyote's, you know, somewhat close, he should be there pretty quick. Um, sure. I, I, the quickest stand we've had was uh, 10 seconds. And the longest stand I've had, I think was two and a half hours. So um, Got it. You, you just, um, just have, I use a lot of my gut feeling, you know, if I'm just ultimately, if I'm not feeling this stand, I mean, okay, maybe there is a coyote there if I would just be patient, but sometimes sure. patient patience runs thin. And it's like, man, I'm just not feeling the spot. 
then I'll, I'll pack up and I'll just, I'll go ahead and move. But as a general rule, I shoot for the 20, 25 minute mark and, and then I head out of Dodge. But Got it. The, and then how far the other, are you, depending on terrain, I'm sure it changes, but how far on average do you move? Mile, three, five? Usually about a mile. You know, okay. I, I, I anticipate that, you know, the caller is calling, you know, anything within half a mile of my caller um, sure. should be, should be hearing it. And um, so I feel good with that half mile radius and then go a mile down the road and then I'm calling a different section. Um, I've had the, the, the night where I was in the field for two and a half hours, we really didn't move much of anything, but coyotes just kept coming and going. So we just, we hung Got out, it. but it was one of those full moon nights and we think the coyotes could see us up on this hilltop and they just weren't coming in close enough for a shot, but we, kept calling them in. So we just kept sticking it out. Um, Got but it. yeah, it's the, the next thing that I found with them is in, in this is where the thermal really comes in handy is I've seen coyotes hang up or just sit there. They, they vocalize off in the distance and I can see them in the thermal. So I turn on the rabbit distress and I'll bump up the volume, no movement. I'll keep bumping out the volume. And I've had it where I've had that caller pretty loud before they pick their heads up, even though they got great hearing. And I, I almost call it coyote ADHD because even though they got great hearing, they're focused on something else and they're ignoring you. So I bring sure. it up to a point where they're not ignoring me and I, I blast it in their face. And then all of a sudden when I see their head pick up and they're turning my way, it's almost like a light switch flips off and they come running. And, uh, and then I'm in the same scenario, where I've had the caller pretty loud and a coyote comes walking out of the woodlot, um, but it's completely ignoring me and it's just walking away, I will immediately flip to a different cocktail, just a slightly different okay. pitch in that. And in that coyote all of a sudden flips its head around and boom, it's on a string and it's coming in. So some, just some of those subtle differences can take a coyote. When you get that coyote to flip its head, either by turning up the volume or change, do you start to roll the volume back as they get closer, or do you just leave yes. it there? No, I do okay. start. I do start dialing it down a little bit as, as they get closer. Um, you know, I've heard guys say that they've had coyotes stick their head in the collar when it's on full volume. <laughs> you know, I haven't experienced that quite yet. Uh, did have a scenario this this winter though, where uh, I was buddy was with me and we're calling in this. Well, I couldn't really make out if it was a fox or a coyote. So I was holding out, holding out, waiting for a, a little better identification. And it wasn't until it was almost standing on the collar. I'm like, yes, it's a coyote. And my buddy blasts it, drops it right there. It was literally three feet from the collar. <laughs> so it was almost on top of it. That's the closest I've had them to the collar so far. So, um, but it, it is, it's just a good time with buddies. And, and that's what it is. It, there's a lot of guys that take it too seriously. Um, and there's just nothing wrong with going out there, having a good time and, and spending time with friends. And, and if you put down a couple of coyotes, that's just the, you know, uh, the highlight of the night, I guess you could say, but just getting sure. out and spending time in the outdoors is what it's all about. Agreed. It's all about that experience. And I, I mentioned that a ton on, the, on this podcast. It's about chasing that experience. It's and that experience to me and to you, obviously is far more than just, killing a coyote or killing a duck or killing a bird or a deer. It's hanging out with friends. It's making the memories. It's laughing. It's joking around. It's the entire thing that makes the hunt and taking an animal just makes it just that much a little bit better, but that doesn't make or break the hunt. And even on hunts where I've 
shot a nice deer or I've had a, a limit of ducks. There's hunts that that's not even the highlight. It's been the joking around in the blind that was actually the highlight of the entire hunt. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen we've seen some pretty wild things at night while we're hunting. Um, you know, it, it's not saying that drunk drivers are a good thing, but you get some comical things happening with, uh, you know, stuff like that with traffic. And um, we had a female drunk driver one night in the winter. She was driving down the road on rims. You know, she had popped, popped her tire. And I thought it was like a snowplow going down the road because you could just hear the grinding metal. And uh, we we finished that coyote stand and we go down this road and she's straddled up over top of a ditch and she's flooring her car thinking she's getting out when she's got no tires on her on her wheels anyway. <laughs> and oh, that boy. that poor girl. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I'm I'm not a fan of drunk drivers. Uh, they, right, right. They, they kill a lot of innocent people. But I did feel bad for this poor girl. She wasn't that old. And, um, you know, she you could tell that she knew she was going to be into some trouble. And uh, the law enforcement officer, you know, when he did show up, you know, he was super kind to her and everything. But she was so drunk, he didn't. She didn't see him open the back door for her of the of the patrol car, and she walked right into the door and ended up <laughs> and ended up falling backwards onto the pavement. You know, so she was oh, pretty hammered. But but her car was just. I mean, she revved on that car. It took law enforcement about a half an hour to show up, and she revved on that time. car for the entire half an hour. Just so, this thing bouncing off the rev limiter. Oh, it was it was. We just sat there. We were, and she came. She came to our truck um, like three or four different times. Hi guys, I'm really really sorry to bother you. Could you help push me out? And we're like, help is coming. You know, we just had to right. get keep reassuring her that help was coming but it was almost like she was just meeting us for the first time every time she came to the truck <laughs> so oh, wait, um, someone's there maybe they'll help me <laughs> right exactly even though we hadn't moved and there was there was nobody was pulling or pushing her car out of that scenario she had it in well you're missing tires that's a problem you're waiting for a tow truck There's oh yeah no we we followed we followed the grooves in the pavement you know another mile down the road and we found a house that we think she might have came out of but when she came out of it she missed the road and hit the railroad tracks oh, and, okay. and that was, so that's where she blew her tires at and Got she it. went down down and off the road about three or four different times so she really was a, a tremendous hazard to be on right. the road um but you know we had it gave us and not black about it and not to laugh about a drunk driver because it is serious, but that's funny. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that was that was a memorable one that's been sticking. That was uh, goodness, two and a half years ago, I'd say, or two. Maybe, maybe it was like three years ago now already. But yeah, it was it was a a memorable night, that's for sure. We didn't. I don't think we even seen any coyotes that night, but that you know made it memorable. Um, right. So, but yeah, there's there's so many stories, so many things that happen, and. But again, it's just all about getting out there, uh, you know, helping landowners. Some of them have, and even uh, deer co-ops. You know, I've I've been getting to the point where I get a lot of calls from local co-ops um, saying they got a coyote problem and you know, asked if I'd come and try to take a few out. Um, I just I generally don't like traveling too far. <laughs> you know, I keep I try to keep it local. But uh, you know, as I said earlier, uh, prior to us starting this podcast is I recently went up to a deer camp up in northern Michigan and these got this deer campus was just something else it was uh, 
I've never seen anything like it for a private deer. Um, they have okay. their own separate lodge and the lodge is like what you see on real tree outdoors. You know, that these big name guys are going to these big name out, outfitters and this lodge looked just like that. You know, these wow. guys catered in dinners, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh. So this, this was like completely new to me. And uh, they asked me to come up there to give them like a weekend you know, I did a seminar for them and I did a weekend coyote workshop. And of course, the first night we're out coyote hunting, the winds are howling 25 plus mile an hour. So absolutely horrible conditions. And then the next night we're out, it's minus nine degrees. <laughs> so, and, and, and the guys I'm taking out were, as a general, were anywhere from that 70 to 90 year old mark too. So, I mean, they're uh, the older generation, but are really intrigued about predators and they want to, sure. he, I think they own uh, right around two, what was it? 1500 acres or 1700 acres right there. And so they were really wanting to start taking predators off their properties. And uh, so I'm hoping that they came away from something and they find a way to start knocking some down, but if nothing else, I'm sure I'll be on my way back up there again. Cause that lodge is absolutely beautiful. That's crazy. Think, I mean, catering and dinner, Oh, yeah, was, that's that's awesome. Uh, that's I was blow, I was blown away. You know, they and they were super. I mean, obviously, all very successful businessmen. You know, throughout sure. their lives, and um, but you know, it seems, and I don't want to say the world. The world today is pretty messed up. Um, but to find people with that much success uh, that are uh, in a younger age group are very arrogant as a general rule i would say and um these guys didn't have that that about them at all i mean these guys were super amazing um you know a very enjoyable trip with them and they i don't know how memorable it was for them but it was very memorable for me because i've never been in that type of atmosphere um with so much i guess big success i mean I don't know how much money these guys had, but it's way more than I've got. So, <laughs> so well, but, 1,700 uh, acres, that's not a small chunk of land. That, that, no, that's, and that was just owned by, that was just owned by, you know, one guy. You know, these other guys are all guys that are a part of other hunt clubs on, you know, other other areas of the state, you know. And sure. the one guy is part of a 22,000-acre hunt club. You know, so crazy. Yeah. So just so are those popular? So are hunt clubs like that popular in Michigan then? Yeah. Usually most of them that I'm aware of are smaller hunt clubs and it's more like sick, a group of six buddies, you know, they created this little hunt club. Sure. Um, And, you know, that's what I'm more familiar with is the smaller hunt clubs, but uh, this was definitely something else. (laughs) They had like these little cabins all the way around the lodge. And if the weather was bad, you never had to leave a cabin to get to the lodge. They had underground tunnels going from every cabin to the lodge. It's wow. like this is awesome. Yeah. Wow. Do they also <laughs> lead? Do they also lead to the heated stands out back too? <laughs> it wouldn't that be something else? Well, they did have. I, I will say every stand was heated too because they, they had a couple. They had a couple carcasses out there that they were hunting over during the afternoon, and. Uh, so they had propane heaters, uh, propane tanks on the outside that they had to turn on the propane, and, and then they go up into the stand and kick on the heater and kick, yeah, yeah, they they don't struggle too much when they're out in the woods. So <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, that's so awesome. it's it's things like that, you know. It's 
I've never really turned the this whole predator hunting thing into a business or anything like that. It's just always I enjoy getting out with guys, um, showing them the rope, showing them what I know, and and these guys, uh, you know, it was the same thing. You know, I was, it just enjoyed the weekend up there with them. It was memorable for me, and and hopefully they learned something. And it would be great if I start getting news that they knocked the coyote or something. Sure, sure. It's cool that you gave them a little workshop, and, you, and that's 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 really cool. I mean, like that meant I really like the mentorship side of this. And what I do, I take a lot of new hunters, and that's not just younger hunters. I take older ones out too, like bird hunting and things along those lines. So to see to hear you doing that, like that's like right up my alley. I really like that part. I enjoy that. Like I don't get paid to do it. I do it on my own free time and everything else. And even if you got paid, that doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're teaching a teaching someone else a completely new aspect of what you enjoy and another way to get outside and get in the outdoors. Yeah. I mean, you look at, especially with coyotes, you know, that's a year round thing. I mean, if, especially if you're retired, you know, one, right. one of the guys I know in Michigan here, he kills an absolute pile of coyotes uh, every year. Um, but he, he's retired, you know, so he's got, he's out a handful of times every week. <laughs> so, sure, sure. And, and with, with that, and you know, he, he spends a lot of time and obviously he's uh, knows a lot of people and has a lot of property to jump around to. So he's not over hunting property, but you know, he's, he killed like 157 coyotes last year in Michigan, which is, you know, that's a lot. Dang, dang good number. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm around 30 to 40, you know, a year. Um, sure. And that's kind of where I've been for the last three or four years. I don't kill huge numbers. I go out and have a good time. I'm not pushing myself crazy hard because I don't feel I need to. I just, right. I just go out when I feel like I need to spend some time in the field. So. Right. Go out, catch up with some buddies, do a 30-minute stand. If it doesn't pan out, you're joking the whole way back to the truck to the next spot. Then it, you get serious for another 20, 30 minutes and keep going throughout the night. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about. Actually, the, so we just uh, um, did a benefit on Friday night um, where it was a local school. They did a little fundraiser, and they, uh, another buddy of mine, he auctioned off a coyote hunt with thermal optics and stuff like that. Okay. And that hunt ended up bringing $1,100 for the auction. So that was a phenomenal uh, amount. And we took those hunters out Friday night and they each got the one got a shot at a coyote and missed. And then everybody else kept unloading on it. You know, lots of lead at that coyote, but (laughs) it was, it was never touched. It got away unscathed. But then the next set, uh, we call in a double and get them both. And, nice. and then we and then we seen another coyote and a red fox that just didn't want to commit to the stand. So it's stuff like that, you know. Um, if you can just give a weekend away, a, you know, a weekend now and then for a benefit hunt like that, that's helping a, a local school or a local charity. Um, you know, that's another thing that is enjoyable. You know, it, it allows you to give back to the community a little bit in a way that most people wouldn't think that you'd give back to the community. We're just doing stuff that we enjoy, but other people that don't have this opportunity to enjoy it, they're willing to spend money to enjoy it. Right. Right. And for them, I mean, it's great. I mean, if they have the money to to do this auction and drop, I mean, it's still cheaper than a thermal optic. They didn't have to worry about trying (laughs) to get the landowner permissions themselves or find the coyotes or find anything like that. And on top of it, they can just write it off as a tax deduction. Well, and you, I mean, you look at the you look at the learning curve. That I mean, you talk right. about some some people that they they'll spend 
you know, two, three years before they shoot their first coyote. These guys go out and then the very first time they've done it, you know, they were shooting coyotes. You know, it's right. just you're 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 paying a lot of money for this benefit, A, to to benefit the school. And then right. and then but B, you're also paying a lot of money to not have a learning curve. I mean, right. here's a here's a rifle. We'll tell you when to pull the trigger type deal. So and if you do it right, it's kind of like using a fishing guide. I mean, if I moved to a new area, if I, if I moved, if I picked up and relocated to a different area, I would probably hire a guide on a few local lakes. And it would be far less about me catching the fish and be far more about me picking their brain saying, <laughs> look, I'm never going to guide in my life. That's not my plan. I just moved here. I want to I want to jump this learning curve so I don't have to spend the next five years trying to figure out the lakes. What works in spring? What works in midsummer? What works in fall? I don't want your hot spots. Just tell me what structure you're looking for. Things like that. And yep. I'm, there's a lot of guides that are more than willing to work with you on that. And it and it also takes some pressure off of them because now they don't know you're not in it to catch one fit. Like you're not out there and like you're not going to base this off the fish. You're really just going to base it off their knowledge now. And I have friends, I have friends that guide and they're like, it's the people that that are the most enjoyable because we're just out there fishing and they're just constant. We're just constantly soaking it in. And even yep. if they don't catch a fish for them, this was a huge success. Right. So for that benefit hunt, if those guys now want to go out and like, hey, let's start taking up some coyote hunting. They just jumped the curve way ahead of me. Even because <laughs> they know now with you're at least they at least went out with experienced people and have a general idea of what to do yeah yeah it was it was a fun night you know and and it, but you know coyote hunting is still hunting you know so sometimes right. you do have those nights where i mean goodness even with you know all the land i can hunt and with what experience i've gained over the last few years i've had dry spells i've had dry spells that last two three four weeks and it's like you know you sit there when you when you you've learned so much and then you have dry spells like that it's like what have i forgot you know did, did i forget how to call in a sinking coyote you know are they just not here so um so you definitely you, you spend a lot of time questioning your abilities but then the next month turns around and all of a sudden you're calling in five here or six there and you know, all right. I have and then does that, everything. Right. And does that make you th sit there and think back? Like, what was different? Like, was it weather? Was it moon you know, phase? It, like, do you start, like, questioning everything? Like, <laughs> so, so I think in those scenarios, like I said earlier on, you know, you can't hunt coyotes unless they're not there. I think I was randomly just, it was strictly just random that I was picking the wrong properties. I mean, when you, I, I currently hunt about 17,000 acres in, Io, in Ionia County, Michigan. And I think I was just picking the most random. They just weren't there, you know, Got and, it. and Got it. I, I don't, cause the, the weather and everything like that was relative, you know, good conditions. And, and, you know, the, talking about weather, this is the other thing that I found funny that, I've, I've paid attention a lot to barometric pressure and, and a lot of different things when it comes to weather, but we've, we've had nights where it's like, okay, we called in nine coyotes this night, you know, tomorrow's weather is identical. Tomorrow gets around here. It is, it's identical. Same wind, same barometric pressure, everything. And we don't call in a single coyote. So it's like, so why in the world do we have two identical weather nights? but one night is lights out and the next night's nothing. And I've talked to a lot of buddies and they have similar scenarios. 
and it's kind of funny with social media and everything now is you can see I, I have so many different people I follow on Facebook and Instagram that you can almost see that when it's going to be a good night, it's not just one person killing it. Everybody's killing them. And then when sure. there's because I know there's every single night there's somebody out coyote hunting unless the weather's absolutely horrible. And it's right. funny to watch those nights. All of a sudden, social media blow up one down. Oh, just got a double. Oh, got this. You know, all of a sudden social media is blowing up. Well, coyotes are moving, you know, so you, right. it's I, I rarely have the energy at that point of the night to go, OK, I got to grab my gear and go. But <laughs> I, was is, say, I was just going to say when your phone starts to blow up and you see that, are you like <clears throat> jump in the truck? Time to roll. It, <laughs> if I had a little more ambition and energy, yes, I would. I, I would. I've got to start doing more of that because it is it is funny, you know, because you, you sit there. We just had a tournament this last weekend. Um, I was I don't do much tournament hunting anymore, but I had some buddies in it. Friday night, like everybody in the tournament was knocking over coyotes. And then Saturday yeah. night, some weather moved in and Saturday night, things just died right down and not near as many were taken. So sure. Um, but the weather did make a completely different change. But as again, you know, Friday night, lots of coyotes hitting the dirt Saturday night, not so many. So weather plays a tremendous role in, in one success one, one night to the next. Interesting. But I guess it makes sense. I mean, if the weather turns crappy and they just had a good, if the, if the night before was good and they were able to get out and feed and then the next night is crap, if their bellies are full, why are they going to move? Like hunker down and just wait it out. Yeah. And this is the other funny thing that I've, I, I've found is a lot of guys like to, I personally have found completely opposite is just before a storm system moves in like the night before, uh, get out coyote hunt, you know, they'll be on the move. Um, I see deer on the move, but I don't see coyotes. I, I rarely kill coyotes. I think um, we're we're trying we're starting to get to a timeline. My buddies and I we've been starting a timeline that before a front system moves through or bad weather moves in, we're right around that 26 to 20 to eight hours beforehand. You you would be good, but when you get to that 24 hours beforehand, it's it's no good. So you. you we're, we're start we're starting to hone in on that that hot spot before system moves in but it's not the day before like like it is with generally with deer sure interesting when you get that many when you have multiple people in the field and you all take it that seriously and you're tracking stuff like that that's a, that's impressive because you're going to learn <laughs> so much because you have multiple people doing it exper different experiences blending and like when you start tracking weather than that that's a lot of data points and data sets to really start to put a pattern together. And we, we don't do as good as like taking down notes and everything. It's all sure. mental notes. Um, I know some guys that are, they, you know, if they kill a coyote, they're right. I tried doing that and I'm, I'm horrible at record keeping, but you know, they, they write down every kill, you know, what date, what time, you know, barometric pressure, wind <clears throat> location, whole nine yards. And I've never, I, I tried doing that for about a month <laughs> as long as I lasted. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just quick, as quickly as I think about doing it, it, it slips my mind and is no longer sure. uh, high priority, but no, there's, there's so much to it. And, but ultimately the, when it comes down to it, you know, coyotes are pretty simple animals. You uh, start out with, uh, I generally start out with a lone howl. <clears throat> um, but there's also times where I'll start right out with a, a rabbit in stress. 
and and if, if I'm starting with a lone howl and they vocalize back, it at least gives me a generalized direction of where they might be coming from. Sure. Uh, it allows me to pay attention more closely to that area. So, yeah, there, there's there's so much about coyotes, and everybody's going to develop their own calling technique. Uh, and over the years, I've developed my own, but I've learned a lot from buddies also and other predator callers in the state, and we just have a good time doing it. That's, that's awesome. It's it's cool that night hunting was able to give you the time, like with having a family to, to get out and do it. I mean, that it's just another way to experience the outdoors and like you just jumped full into it and all the things you're seeing and doing and all that other stuff. I mean, it, it's pretty cool to think about like that you can balance, that you, you can use this as a way to still get outdoors, but balance your family life and work life really well with it. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's completely taken over Pretty much like you said like i said earlier you know you got, you got to kind of pick and choose where your main hobbies are going to be um my deer hunting is next to non-existent anymore sure you know, i'll if my freezer gets a little empty i'll go out and i'll shoot a doe or two because those are very plentiful and uh, put some meat in the freezer and other than that i'm jumping right back into coyotes <laughs> that's, sure that's where my passion lies Try to keep on where, who, who shot something where, where you have a fresh gut pile. And do you, do you use that to your advantage? Like, do you hunt over I, gut piles or anything like that? Or do I you don't. Still focus um, on, okay. Yeah, I, I strictly focus on calling. I know um, there's there's some guys that do hunt over deer carcasses. Um, and they generally put like a wireless scouting camera or something over top of the carcass. So it kind of, and they set it up close enough to home or to their house sure. where the camera goes off. They just jump out on the back porch and, and take out a coyote. <laughs> So, um, but no, I've just, I've never really been done too much of that. I actually, where I live now, I probably should, um, <laughs> because the, the guys that run dogs around me, they've taken, I've got this little two acre swale right behind my house and they've take, kicked out one coyote the other day and they followed two other coyotes through there like a month ago. So the coyotes spend a lot of time right behind my house. So I could just as well try to take them out, if, you know while they're coming think, through do you think they know like you're an accomplished predator hunter so they're just trying to stay close to you thinking you'll just drive <laughs> right by them <laughs> but that's what my buddies have asked me like why are the coyotes even they're playing with fire being that close to you because the dog guys will say like hey there was a set of coyote tracks 100 yards behind your house last night i'm like they must just you know feel a little safe around me apparently or they've heard about my shooting <laughs> so no it's uh, I did. Uh, uh, I've been using a two two three for the last several years, but I did just upgrade okay. to a two forty three this year. Um, so it does give me a little more range now. I don't feel sure. like my two twenty three. Uh, I, I I struggled if they were over two hundred fifty yards. Um, okay, just it dropped off too quick. But with the two forty three now, I I know I can aim for the top of their back and it's going to fall in and knock them over at three hundred now. Sure. Um, so, you know, having a good rifle and ultimately it really doesn't, I, I've killed a lot of coyotes with 223. A lot of guys think that 223 isn't sufficient, but, um, you know, it's a great, great cartridge, you know, but I've, I've told guys, which whatever you're most comfortable with, I mean, you sure. put the, put the bullet in the coyote shoulder and, uh, you know, you make sure you have a rifle that can penetrate the coyote shoulder, but, um, you know, whatever you're comfortable and be the most accurate with is what you should. 
makes sense. And that's a whole another debate. Like you can get in that debate with deer hunting and everything else like caliber and all that. So, I mean, as long as you're using something that's ethical, because even though they're yeah. predator hunting and so people want to remove them all, like there's that whole plus, whatever. I don't even want to get into that either. You still got to be an ethical hunter. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that I, and I'll, I'll, I'll go into that spiel too, because you know, we're on social media. It gives these humane society and PETA and all, hunters are their own worst enemy <clears throat> and they're giving these these organizations so much firepower to use against us um whether it be distasteful photos distasteful videos you know um it there's there's just no place for it on social media if you want to keep it on your phone and show it to your local buddies so be it but PETA right. is grabbing a hold of those videos uh you know tournaments you know they're obviously they're going after predator hunting tournaments because you know they've got videos of these predators just getting tossed around and and stuff right um and so as hunters we do need to be better about our social media image and if you're going to be on there uh you know use use some common sense and some thoughts and not be distasteful i agree i mean when i take pictures of animals i've harvested i try to make them look tasteful i try to hide blood when i can like a deer i make sure like the tongue isn't hanging out and it's not big right. bloody nose bubbles and all this stuff like i gotta th i try we always think about this picture of like you're never gonna please the anti-hunters no matter what but what about the people that are on the fence whereas if this picture's tasteful it's not gonna bother them but if it's distasteful now you created another person against hunting that's how right. i've always tried to look at my pictures yep and that's what it um, if you look at my social media accounts, I do a lot of nighttime photography and that's what allowed, it's kind of where I've separated myself from the crowd is with my nighttime photography, but I've, you know, trying to set those sites, those up for good, tasteful photos takes some time. You know, when I'm out right. with my buddies, you were usually eating up an entire coyote stand, uh, just so we could take photos at the, uh, sure. It usually takes us about 45 minutes to an hour to do a photo set. So it, it's just not something that happens overnight, but, uh, or happens real easily, but you know, that's what we enjoy doing. Right. To get those good quality pictures that are tasteful and like show like, you know, cause people try like, at least when I do photography, I'm like, I'm not great at it. It's I've got a decent camera. It's just something I don't focus a lot on. It's another hobby. I wish I had more time for but you're trying to tell a story through your photo. So, I mean, that's another thing I kind of try to keep in the back of my head. Like this is a story in a single picture. Right. Yes. So exactly. setting up, so setting it up and getting that good shot and all that. I mean, that's just one level, like way above what I'm doing. I mean, but like, if you go on your Instagram, like shortly here, I'll let you spell out all your Facebook, social, social media, Facebook, Instagram, every way people can follow you. Um, but if you look at your pictures, some of your nighttime photos, they're incredible. Like with the, with the lighting and like, yeah, it's, it's good, man. It's real good. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's taken a few years to develop that technique. And, um, like I said, that's how I've pretty much separated myself from, you know, everybody else. And there's a lot of other guys trying to get into the photography, which is great. You know, I don't, uh, I don't give away a ton of secrets, but I don't, I also give away tips on how they can improve their photography, whether it be through. You know just a simple iphone you know the, the sure. capabilities of your wireless or your devices is 
pretty good if you understand the lighting aspect of it. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a a different technique that I've I've learned over the years. It's, yeah, and I'm not asking you to give it up. Like you keep that secret, <laughs> man. Like can't give away all your secrets because I mean, that's that's kind of like and social media is kind of the name of the game to some people. Like depending on where you want to go with this and everything else in the industry and there's so many people that like social media has made it so easy for people to get media out there right be it videos right. be it photography so in order to stand out you have to kind of do something either really unique or be better than most people so when it comes to right. something like that like those are those things that you just kind of got to keep in your hip pocket like you can't just be like <laughs> hey teach me how to do that I no. I've, I've, <laughs> I've thought about trying to find a way to do like a uh, a pay to play pay to play platform or something like that. If you want to learn how I do this technique, it's going to cost you this much to to learn it. Sure. And, I, and and at that point, you know, I'm getting paid for my secrets. But at this right. point, I'll give away like so. I mean, I I've got five thousand wrapped up into my nighttime setup. And, and so not there's not very many people that's going to go out there and they're going to drop that kind of money just so they can take right. time photos. I mean, so I, I understand that, but what I can do is take what I, I know and put it into a device that everybody does have. That's usually they got their cell phones on them. So sure. um, I, I've been starting to teach a few people, some of those techniques, more, more buddies than anybody else, but right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's been a lot of, you know, the photography side of things, like you said, you know, the social media has allowed everybody to try to expand their media platforms. I started in 2008 and it wasn't until I would say 2019, you know, that between my photography and the predator hunting, it really started taking off. And, and I had that little bit of a niche and my niche was the nighttime hunting with the nighttime photography and sure. um, so that's what's really taken off for me and, it, and it's a lot just I keep saying it's so much fun but I, I really do I mean I enjoy the time in the field I enjoy what I'm able to do and what I'm able to bring to the followers that's awesome when you enjoy it it makes it seem it's not as dreadful right when it's negative 10 outside when you're leaving and you're like <laughs> I don't really want to do this. <laughs> hey, I, I do have those nights though. <laughs> when, when, when it is, when, it, when the weather is miserable, it's like, yeah, here, quick, quick cell phone shot. You sure. know, and sure. I'm, I'm heading up, he, heading to the warm bed, you know, but <laughs> no, as, as a general rule, you know, I, the guys I hunt with are super patient because it takes me a while to set up everything. Um, but they also understand the end result is usually something that's, you know, everybody can be proud of and, and, and share on their platforms. Sure. So that's, that's awesome. Well, why don't you tell everyone how to follow you on your platforms then? However you want, like if you have a public Facebook or not, Instagram, Twitter, Stitch, I don't know. All out there. <laughs> well, uh, goodness. I, I recently changed my, my Instagram at C Craner media. If I remember correctly. Um, it is. I will link it in there. It is C. It is C. Craner underscore media. Don't forget the underscore. <laughs> I'm looking at it on my other screen, so <laughs> I don't have it memorized. Um, and, uh, and then I am on Facebook, Chris Craner. Um, in Twitter, I have an account, but I don't ever use it. Sure. Um, and then 
the other i've got some pages i got dusted on outdoors which is a group of guys i do most of my predator hunting with uh great outdoor pursuits is the um the outdoor page i started back in 2008 where i was trying to do everything in the outdoors and and be very broad and and that just didn't pan out the way i was wanting it to but it, it's still sure. there and it's still an active page um so people can follow me there all right i really appreciate you coming on like you, you gave a ton of knowledge like especially for someone like me that's really really green and all this like you explained a lot of things in a way that I could understand. So I'm sure the listeners are going to take away the same. Like this is, this is kind of like a predator one-on-one and I loved it. That's what we, we've been doing some seminars lately. And that's what we've been asked for, you know, some predator one-on-one seminars and those have been taken off huge. So, but I do appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show and, and talking with your listeners. And to my listeners, Thank you all for listening again. As I've said every time, like if it, you wouldn't listen, I wouldn't do this because why would I? I mean, I do this for you guys. And shoot me a message if there's any content you specifically want to hear. I'll try to do my best to try to get a guest on that can play to that. Um, and until next time, everyone, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures your Midwest premier paddle sports destination, go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs, when in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.